and that he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And what a great gift that was. The greatest gift we'll ever receive is the gift of salvation. Can you say man? What a privilege it is. The Bible said the tithe belongs to God and offerings besides. So as you and I bring God his tithe and we bring offerings together, we're able to do what none of us can do alone. So we appreciate you partnering with us, and we're going to see God do great things here at Praise Chapel. Lord, bless your people as they give in Jesus' name. Amen. Go on and speak It's my borrowed in us. It's the judge's my defense. I'm going free. Right with the gavels. I heard the freedom. Dancing through the heart of hell. I'm going free. I'm going free. So glory, glory, hallelujah. It will my shadows in the sea. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Jesus is my liberty. I'm going free. Just not who I Lord, I'm a brand new man. I'm going free. Right in the middle of the paved with grace and it's gonna leave me home. I'm going free. Yes, I'm going free. So glory, glory, hallelujah. Through my shadows in the sea. Glory. Jesus is my liberty. Glory, glory, hallelujah. You threw my shackles in the sea. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Jesus is my liberty. I'm going free.
reason um, I showed you that video, again, a couple things. is One, we use that video as an advertisement for this Easter. But it communicates a message that I want you to pay attention to. Um, at the end there, it has a phrase called, In the Light of Christ. And I saw this video probably about a month ago or so. And ever since I saw it, that phrase, In the Light of Christ, begin to stick into me. It just, it just was something that uh, resonated in my spirit. And I begin to realize, because I begin to pray about it, and I said, God, what are you saying to me? And God began to reveal to me and show me that what he's talking about or what he wants us to understand is context. How many know that context is everything? Have you ever walked into the middle of a conversation and you didn't get the front part of the conversation, you only got the middle and the end, and you're going, wow, this is kind of weird? That's because you don't have context. You walk into a situation where things are going on and you see it. I, I remember years ago a church, um, <clears throat> a, a church decided to do something. And I, I don't know that I would do this. This is a little risky. There's a phrase or a, a portion of scripture in the Old Testament. It says, will a man rob God? And it's talking about giving and all of that. And so they, they decided to do something interesting. They had the ushers take the offering. Well, right in the middle of the offering, they had a guy come in with a toy gun and stick up the ushers. Because they were asking the question, will a man rob God? Well, somebody who didn't know what was going on, didn't have context, came rushing in and wanted to take the guy out with this hoy gun. And it's like, no, no, we, don't ought, we ought to have context for that. Can you say amen? Context changes everything, doesn't it? Well, when you think about your life as a Christian, I want you to understand something. Context will change everything. How many of you here ever had a bad day? Raise your hand if you've had a bad day. Okay, a few of you. There's a couple, and if you've never had a bad day, hang on, it's coming. You don't have to live life very long before you figure out there are some bad days in life. But even in our worst day, the worst day of our life, in the context of in the light of Christ, is better than most people's best day. That's what we need to understand this Easter, and that's where I want to take you. I want to take you on just a short journey of the context of who we are and what we are, and more importantly, what Jesus did for us at the cross. Can you say amen? See, it doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter your success level. It does not matter your job or where you live or the clothes you wear or the car you have. When you consider your life in context, in the context of Jesus Christ, in the light of Christ, it will change everything. So what I want to do is I want to look at a portion of Scripture, and we're going to use this portion of Scripture really as a springboard. We're going to kind of launch into this and just see what's happening there and see how this applies to us. It's in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. It says this, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now I want to stop there just for a minute because I love this. I love the imagery here because here's the angel coming into what seems to be a hopeless situation And the Bible says that he rolls back the stone. Some have said that it could be interpreted this way, that he threw the stone away, and then he sits on it. (coughs) This angel has some swagger, doesn't he? 
I like it. <clears throat> he gets the obstacle out of the way, and then he sits on the obstacle. That's just like God, isn't it? That's what God does. And so he goes on, he says, His countenance was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. What a powerful thing that is. Can you say amen? Now, you need to think about this moment because this is a pretty incredible moment. And let's see if we can kind of put ourselves in that because I think we can kind of relate to this. Maybe not completely, but we've all had those days where it was a bad day. And so the Bible is telling us that Mary and those that were with her were going down to the, the, the tomb of Jesus and they were going to care for the body of Jesus. They were compelled to honor him because he had done so much for, him, for them. He had healed them. He had delivered them. He had forgiven them. He had the words of life. Literally, Jesus had changed these people's lives in ways that were unthinkable, in ways that were incomprehensible. They, they, they were changed miraculously from places that they couldn't even imagine. But yet they're filled, I imagine, as they come down to the tomb with sadness. There, there's probably questions and confusion that's beginning to penetrate their mind and their heart. And there's probably fear that's clawing on them on every side. What are, what are we going to do now, they probably begin to ask themselves. Jesus had the words of life. It, it wasn't supposed to be this way. It was supposed to work out different. He, he said he was the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and he, he said he was the Son of God. He said that, that, you know what, if we followed him, we would never be disappointed that, you know what, he was bringing the kingdom. He said the kingdom has come. What's, what's happening? This, this seems like a promise gone astray. It, it seems like, but they love Jesus. And so they're filled. Their minds are filled. It's not really a good day for them because they're, they're in confusion. They don't know what to do. But just as they reach the tomb, just as they get there, the earth begin to shake. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord appeared, and the stone was thrown away. And Jesus is risen. They come to the understanding that he is not there and that he is risen, that he has kept his promise and that he has overcome death and he is risen. What a moment that had to be. Have you ever had those kind of moments in life when you knew, you knew that you knew that you knew you had bad news and you knew it's done, it's over with. But then um, in a moment of time, everything changes. Something that you didn't even consider or think of. Something that you possibly didn't even believe in. It comes to pass. And you're so relieved and you're so awestruck. And that is the moment that is here. The angel comes on the scene and he says, I know you're looking for Jesus, this one who is crucified. But he is not here. He has risen. See, when all seems to be lost... When everything seems to be gone, God changes everything, doesn't he? In this moment, not only does he draw a line in the sand, but he draws a line in time itself. 
He splits time completely apart with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as I was putting this sermon together, I, I want to capture this. I, I think it's too easy for us as Christians sometimes to walk away from the, the wonder of what it is that we have and enjoy in Christ. And so there was a song that I heard when I was a very young man in my teens, and this song always moved me. In fact, when I watched it at home on my, on my computer, it, 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 it just began to move me. I began to weep and just think about what Jesus done. And I, I've got a video that I want you to, to watch and I want you to listen to, and I want you to pay very close attention because it tells a story about you and I. The gates and doors were barred And all the windows fastened down I spent the night in sleeplessness Rose at every sound Half in hopeless sorrow Half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. Just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wall. The gate began to rattle, a voice began to call. I hurried to the window and looked down into the street, expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. There was no one there but Mary, so I went down to let her in. John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been. She said, they've moved him in the night. None of us knows where. The stone's been rolled away. Now his body isn't there. We both ran toward the garden, then John ran on ahead. We found the stone in the empty tomb just the way that Mary said. The winding sheet they'd wrapped him in Was just an empty shell How or where they'd taken him Was more than I could tell well, Something strange had happened there But just what I did not know John believed a miracle But I just turned to go Circumstance and speculation Couldn't lift me very high I'd seen them crucify him Then I saw him die Back inside the house again The guilt and anguish came Everything I'd promised him Just added to my shame it Was when at last it came The choices I denied I knew his name Even if he was alive it wouldn't be the same but suddenly the air was filled with strange and sweet perfume light that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room and Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide I fell down on my knees and just clung to him and cried He raised me to my feet And as I looked into his eyes 
Love was shining out from him like sunlight from the skies. Guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweet release. And every fear I'd ever had just melted into peace. context of our life, we can be spoken in two words, he's alive. The reason I'm alive is because he's alive. I want you to think about that because, you know, in that story, the the song, the words of the song come out of the book of John. If you read John's account of the resurrection, you'll find that that's the story that he tells. But I want you to know that that's not just their story, it's our story, because all of us have been in that place where we have felt the guilt and the shame. We have felt the denial, where we denied his name or we've done something wrong, but yet he comes so graciously and mercifully to us in his love. And he lifts us to our feet and he restores us and he gives us life. You know, the thing that I think about in my own life, I think about what is it that just moves me more than anything, and it's the patience of God. Because I could tell you that I would not be this patient with me. I could tell you I probably would have cast myself aside a long time ago, but God, he is so patient and he is so loving, and he comes back, and that's the demonstration of the cross, is that he loves us. Can you say amen? Amen. We're here today. Because he died and rose again. That's the context of our life. Leonard Ravenhill, he said these words. He says, the cross expresses the depth of the love of God. And he says, and the resurrection demonstrates the greatness of the power of God. And I want you to think about that because, see, no other religion in the world has a resurrection. Only Christianity. It is only in Christianity that its leader took on the problems and the troubles and the shame and the difficulty of its followers, of their followers, and then carried them away. The Bible says in, in, in Isaiah 53, prophesying in 53 verse 4, that he bore our shame and carried our sorrow. Literally, it's the image of a scapegoat. They conferred the sin on the scapegoat, and they sent the get goat out of the, out of the camp. That's what Jesus did. He took our pain. He took our sorrow. He took our sickness, our disease. He took our shame, and he carried it away. That's the context of our life, isn't it? There is no question in my mind this morning that the resurrection is the crowning miracle of God. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the standard of power in the New Testament. God set the bar high, didn't he? He set it high so that we would be compelled to go to him because without him we can do nothing. Without him we are not able. Without him we can change nothing. But with him nothing is impossible for us. Can you say amen? And you know what? It would do us well this morning to take some time in just a few minutes to examine exactly what that great miracle really did accomplish. And I could tell you there's not enough time to go through everything. But there's a few things that I want you to know because I believe if you understand this, if you start living your life in this context, it will change everything. So we're going to look at just for a moment of being in the light of Christ. See, because Jesus died and rose again, we are forgiven and we've been made alive in him. Now, I want you to listen to this verse of Scripture. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, it says, But God. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop just for a moment. But God. That's an important portion of Scripture. You say, why is that? Because it indicates something that we need to hear on a regular basis. See, every time you read, But God, you need to pay attention. Because it's God that steps into time. It's God that steps into our life and changes things. See, the Bible says Lazarus was dead for four days, but Jesus. Amen. There was not enough food to feed the 5,000, but Jesus. There was not enough money to pay the temple tax, but Jesus. Are you getting this? See, when God steps in, see, your circumstance for you may be impossible, but God's not done. God's not done, and that's what Easter's all about. Jesus died and was crucified, and he took our sin, and he got the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and they thought it was over, but God. But God raised him from the dead. He goes on in this verse of Scripture, and he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, even when we did not care enough to know about him, when we didn't even want to know about him, when we wanted to do our own thing, when we were lost and we were filthy. Jesus is dying on a cross. He made us, the Bible says, when we were dead in sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we are saved. And not only that, he raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, on your worst day, the context of your life is that you are forgiven, alive, and seated with him in heaven. On your worst day, when the boss is chewing you out for something you didn't do, when the bank is demanding payment, when the doctor says there's no hope, when the landlord is yelling at you, when the neighbor's complaining about your dog, when your car is broke down, when your wife and your husband, whoever, whichever one you are, are fighting, when your children are in rebellion, on your worst day, You are saved, you are forgiven, you are alive and seated with him in heavenly places. That's the context of your life. He goes on and we find out because Jesus died and rose again, we have access to the Father. We have open access to the Father. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Having then a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but one that has been in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. You know what that means? Is Jesus knows what it's like to live your life. He doesn't just understand pain. He understands your pain. He doesn't understand problems. He understands your problem. And because of that, the Bible goes on to say that we can draw near to God, the throne of God, with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. God says, anytime you're in trouble, you come see me. That's your access. I was thinking about this the other day. I shared with the Saturday night service. My grandson, Oliver, he gets it. He understands this principle perfectly. The other day I was in the office, in my office counseling. The door was shut, and generally when that's going on, it's a no-go zone. But Oliver, all he knows is that's Grandpa's office, and I'm his grandson. And so Oliver opened the door, walked in, and says, Grandpa, what you doing? See, we can do that with God. We can walk into the throne room, and I I don't at all mean to diminish what we have, but we can walk into that throne room and say, God, what are you doing? And you know what? He'll tell us what he's up to. Church, he says, I want to show you marvelous and wonderful things because we have access to him. We can go to him on your worst day. You have access to the throne. That's the context of your life. Because Jesus died and rose again, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. You see, before Jesus' death and resurrection, everyone was subject to the law and its curse. And the curse of the law basically boiled down to this, sickness, death, and poverty. And the problem is, even though Jesus has died and rose again, there are still many that are living in the curse. But I want you to understand that Jesus redeemed us from the curse We do not have to be sick, church. Jesus overcame death. We do not have to live in poverty. There is more than enough. He is our great healer. He is our great provider. Can you say amen? He is the spiritual doctor in heaven. He is made a way. Listen to Galatians 3, 13. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is your healer. If you're here today and you're sick in body, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus submitted to the scourging, the beating, the whipping. His body was broken. Why? For our healing. That's the context of our life. The Bible goes on and tells us that because Jesus died and rose again, we are safe and secure. In John 16, out of the Amplified Version, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you'll have tribulations and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of the power to harm you, and I have conquered it. We are more than conquerors. Can you say amen? You and I have been given the victory, even though that we did not 
fight for it. We did not pay for it. We did not earn it. All we can do is receive it. And he goes on and he tells us that because Jesus died and rose again, we are victorious. Right now, church, regardless of what your circumstances say, the context of your life is you have won. You are victorious. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long and we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angel nor principality nor power nor things present nor things to come nor height depth or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord that my friends is the context of your life. Amen. Amen. You know, here's here's the dilemma, church. The problem is, is if we're not careful, this can fall on, on, on unhearing ears. See, because after you leave this place today, you're going to have an opportunity to come confrontation, come in a confrontation with your circumstances. And you're going to have to decide which context are you going to live in. Are you going to live in the context that your circumstances demand, or are you going to live in light of Christ? Because that, my friends, is the truth about your life. If you're saved here today, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then that is the context of your life. Because Jesus died and rose again to church, we are full and overflowing in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, the Bible says, His divine power has given to us all things. Say all things. all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We are partakers, church, of the divine nature. The context of my life, of your life, is that I have all things that pertain to this life and godliness. And I have a promise, an exceedingly precious and great promise that I am a partaker of his nature. What a powerful thing. And finally, because Jesus died and rose again, church, we are never alone. We are never, ever alone. In Matthew twenty-eight twenty, the Bible speaks of Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says to them, he's giving them instruction, he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Here's Jesus, he's giving them this instruction to go into the world and preach the gospel, and he says, you know, it's going to be a difficult task. It's not going to be fun, there's going to be hard days. He says, but listen, the context of your life is I am with you. I am always with you, I am right there. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life, church. It doesn't matter if you're having a bad day or if there's not enough money or things don't look like it's going to work out. If there's a storm, you need to know that Jesus is right there. He's right there. In another place in the Bible, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. There's nothing you can do to drive me away. I am right there. That's the context of our life. Can you say amen? That's what Jesus died and rose again for. Time would prevent me this morning 
from talking about all the things, things like the identity that we enjoy, sonship that we're empowered with, the anointing that rests upon our life, the Holy Spirit that fills our lives and gifts us, the righteousness that has been given to us as virtue of what he did and not what we do, the destiny of our life, the favor and the transformation of our life. All of those things are so real. Church, this Easter, what you need to do is take a few moments of your time and consider the context of your life in the light of Christ. When you look at it that way, it'll change how you view life. The problems will just seem a whole lot smaller. The difficulties won't be that bad. You'll be able to endure longer. You'll be able to bear up under the weight. Why? Because you'll begin to realize it's not your strength. I believe that's why Paul said, he goes, I glory in my weakness. He says, because then the strength of God is made perfect in me. He says, it's, he says the reason I glory in my weakness is not because I like it, but because it reveals the strength of God that's in me. And I love that. Church, that's what Jesus came to do. The Bible says he came to redeem us, to set us free, to restore us, to bring us back. Church, we need to remember that. Can you say amen? amen. We're going to uh, uh, move into our portion of the service where we're going to take communion. I'm going to ask Pastor Wilson if he would come. And he's going to lead us in communion. And as we take this communion... I want you to take this communion. We're instructed in the Bible to do this in remembrance of him. I want you to do this in remembrance of the context of your life. What that communion, what that did in our life. Amen. God bless you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. We are going to receive communion in just a moment. But the only requirement for you to receive communion is that you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And if you don't really even know what that means, all it means is that you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, come into your heart, and make you a new person. See, that's what we're talking about tonight, Easter or today. Easter is all about resurrection. And it's not just the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what he does in our lives when we give our lives to him. When we ask him to forgive us of our sins, he cleanses us. He forgives us from all of our sins. And you know what? He causes us to rise up in a brand new life. So as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one's looking around just for a moment. If there are those here this morning, maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, or maybe you've been away from him for a while, and this morning you say, you know what? I want to know what Easter really is all about in my life. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. And nobody's looking around just for a moment. As heads are bowed, you want to be included in this prayer for forgiveness. You want to ask Jesus to come into your heart. No one looking around for a moment. You just slip your hand up, and by that hand lifted up, acknowledge your need of him. God bless you. God bless you. I see all of these hands. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Honest hearts. God bless you. You can put your hands down. God bless you. Anybody else join with these that have already raised their hands? Praise God. We're going to all pray together, and I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Let's all pray together and just say these words. Cry this 
cry out this prayer to Christ right now. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I know that I have sinned throughout my life, but I believe you died for me. Your blood was shed for my forgiveness. And I receive that forgiveness, and I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. And I thank you this morning for forgiving me from all of my sin and giving me a brand new life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him praise. Amen. Let's thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Forgiveness is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Our ushers, usherettes are going to go ahead and pass the trays here. And as it comes by you, if you've not received communion before here, there's two cups. There's a cup in a cup. The bread is in the lower cup. The juice is on the top, and you just take it. It may be a little stuck together, so just be careful not to uh, spill the juice as you take that cup out to, to receive the bread. <clears throat> as now, I want to just say just a few words about uh, today, Easter. Uh, to a lot of people throughout the world, Easter is just another holiday. And I was thinking about it just before I stepped up here. You know, some people are thinking about Easter. It's a holiday, but it's not even a holiday with a day off. You know? And so some people think, oh, what a burn. You know, it's a holiday without a day off. Uh, it is, to some people, an expensive holiday. Americans uh, nationwide are going to be spending or have spent through this Easter holiday $18 billion dollars. That's a lot of chocolate. That's a lot of eggs. That's a lot of clothes and, and all the decorations that go along with Easter. But you know what? The most costly price of Easter was paid 2,000 years ago when Jesus shed his blood. The Bible in 1 Peter chapter 1 says that we have been redeemed not with money, but with the precious blood of Christ. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? We've got a verse of Scripture I, I asked them to put on the screen this morning. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. And what Jesus was talking about when we receive communion is that it's not meant to just be done as something that we view collectively, or in other words, just for everybody else, but we are really meant to take it personally. And that's what he's talking about in this verse here, in verse 24, 1 Corinthians 11. And when he, and that's Jesus, had given thanks, he broke it, that bread, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do, or do this in remembrance of me. And so the bread that we hold this morning is a symbol of his body that was broken for you, and I want you to say, for me. We have to take it personal. Otherwise, this is just, 
It can be just another holiday. It can be another observance. It can be uh, uh, children uh, going for an Easter egg hunt. And for all the parents, uh, after the service this morning, we're having a egg hunt in the uh, uh, park just behind us. But Easter is so much more than an Easter egg hunt or new clothes or things like that. It is a remembrance of Jesus Christ allowing his be broken for us, allowing his blood to be shed for us. It was for me and for you. Say for me. His body was broken. In Isaiah chapter 53, it spoke prophetically and said that, that by his stripes we are healed. And, and uh, Peter, as Peter writes in his uh, epistle, he says, by his stripes we were healed. And so Jesus' body was broken so that we could receive healing. In our bodies, there are those across this auditorium this morning that have something going on physically. Maybe it's back pain. Maybe you've gotten a bad, uh, a troubling diagnose, uh, diagnosis from a doctor. Maybe it's something that you've been dealing with for a number of years and you think, well, this is just, and possibly you've all already said, this is something I'm just going to have to learn to live with. But Jesus' body was broken for our healing. His body was broken so that we could receive healing in our minds. And God knows we need healing in our minds, huh? <clears throat> healing from troubled emotions. And so as we in just a moment are going to receive the bread, I want to encourage us all to believe together for that healing virtue from Jesus to flow from whatever issue you're dealing with in your physical body or in your mind or in your emotions. We're going to trust God together today to see healing flow. Can you say amen? Say it one more time. For me. For me. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we do thank you for allowing your body to be broken for us. By your stripes, we are healed. And I want you to just repeat this with me. By your stripes, I was healed. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me in my body today, for healing my mind, for healing me from troubled emotions. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus took the bread, broke it, and said, Take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Let's receive together. After the bread, he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, This is my blood of the new covenant. This is God's new agreement with mankind. And that because of his blood that was shed, we can know the reality of sins forgiven. I remember very uh, specifically the night that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Back in February 1st, 1975, I said a very simple prayer and asked Jesus to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I had no idea that night the impact that that prayer would make on my life. I knew, uh, I knew that I'd sinned. Nobody had to convince me of it. They didn't have to run down the list of this is sin, that's sin, all that. I'd, 
I, I was only uh, 19, almost 19 years old, but I knew in that, uh, especially in my teenage years, I'd accumulated a couple of sins. Nobody had convinced me I knew. What I didn't understand until I prayed that prayer was the power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse me and to bring forgiveness from that sin. And this morning, maybe there are those here, and I know there were those that possibly for the first time prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. I want to encourage you, though all that sin from the past has been forgiven, we are clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. But there are those of us who have been Christians for a number of years. We've been believers for a number of years. Some of us still may be carrying some of the shame from that past. And I want to encourage you, be here Wednesday night for that message, shame off you. But I want to encourage you right now to trust God as we receive this semblance of his blood shed That sin has been cleansed. We may not lose the memory of what we did, but the sting and the terrible shame from that sin from our past. And there are a lot of us here this morning that have things in our past we are so thankful that nobody else has to know about. Aren't you glad for that? (laughs) It's nobody else's business. God has forgiven us. Jesus' blood has cleansed us. And we are celebrating this morning his blood shed for us and his resurrection so that we can rise up in a brand new life. Can somebody say amen? Praise God. Thank God for forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus. We're going to receive the cup in just a moment. We're going to pray together. And as we pray, I want... And I know that we prayed that prayer of forgiveness, but as we pray over this cup right now, I want to encourage you to, in your heart and in your mind, receive that that cleansing uh, so that you don't have to go from this place thinking, well, did it really, did it, did it, am I really forgiven by the word of God, his blood cleanses us from all sin. Say all sin. And we're thankful, aren't we? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Jesus, thank you for the shedding of your blood. Thank you for paying the price for our sins. Thank you that we can know the reality that our sins have been forgiven that we have been washed through your blood and made brand new. Thank you that we can walk and live with a clear conscience because of your blood that was shed for us. And Lord, as you said, do this in remembrance of you today. We do remember the price you paid. We are so thankful. We are so grateful for that price you paid 2,000 years ago and grateful that the blood of Jesus Christ has never lost its power. Thank you for the power of forgiveness. Thank you for the power to overcome sin. Thank you for the power to live the Christian life through your bloodshed. In your name, the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus said, when he lifted the cup up, he said, take drink. This is my blood of the new 
covenant shed for you. Let's receive together. Now I want to encourage you to just put the cups down, stand to your feet, and uh, let's make some noise, can we? And just thank God for his forgiveness. Thank you.